This show is produced and hosted by Mark Weber. The show is sponsored by G3 Apparel. The views expressed in the following program are those of the sponsor and not necessarily the opinion of 710 WOR or iHeartMedia. Who is Mark Weber? He's a self-made business executive here to help you find your success. From the New York City projects to the Avenue Montaigne in Paris, his global success story in the luxury world of fashion is inspirational. He's gone from clerk to CEO twice. Mark is classic proof that the American dream is alive and well. Here's your host of Always in Fashion, Mark Weber. What kind of fool am I? Who never fell in love? It seems that I'm the only one that I have been thinking of. If you're just tuning in to Always in Fashion and you haven't listened to the radio version yet, you would have heard Sammy Davis Jr. Tonight you'll just have to deal with me. Welcome to Always in Fashion. I look in the mirror, probably more than I should. I like what I see, still. It's not about vanity per se, though. I look in the mirror, right through myself. I look at my eyes and the truth is there. The eyes, Chico, they never lie. I see the brightness. I see the clarity. I see the intelligence. And if this is true, then why did I spend a week with people talking to me as if I wasn't? Do I look stupid? Yes, a simple question. Do I look stupid? I must. Otherwise, my interactions with humans would be different. I could deal with the arrogance. We all have our moments. I could deal with impatience. We're all pressed for time. I could deal with the politics. 50% of you are wrong at any issue. But the New York Times told us this week that our president makes it all up as he goes along, right to our face. I could deal with disappointment. I expect it. I could deal with happy and pleasant, but I don't see it enough. But I can't deal with what is incredible to me, stupidity. Oh, I'm used to people being stupid, stupid all the time. What I can't get used to is people looking me in the eyes and talking to me as if I'm stupid. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. We all experience it, so we all can relate. Do I look stupid? Now, where can I get an answer to that question? Do I look stupid? Perhaps... From my lawyer, my co-host and son, Jesse Weber. Well, I'll give you an honest answer. You don't look stupid, but that is different than you acting stupidly, which you don't do. Well, yeah, I'll say you don't do that either that much. But the point I think you're making is that do people talk to each other as if the other is stupid? And I will tell you that happens all the time. You ask yourself, what am I, an idiot? Is he really saying that to me? I'll give you an example. I am in the most difficult industry imaginable entertainment i don't mean that like the toil of it right i don't mean i'm talking about making it in this industry and being accepted is ridiculous so you have an agent you can't even put yourself out there you have this middle person who's representing you and the answers that come back too tall too small too old too young for me not a reporter no hosting experience and the three minute reel Oh my goodness, if you have a reel that's four minutes, no one's going to look at it, right? It has to be because nobody has an attention span. They're only going to look at this short three-minute reel. I could do a reel for an hour, but no, it has to be like two and a half minutes. And if there's one thing that I have proven in the last several years, I can host, okay? I do long crime. I do Sirius. I do News Nation. I do here on WOR. I do HLN. But you know what I get back sometimes? You know, I see him more as a legal analyst. I don't really see him as a host. I want to scream. There is a reason most of the waiters and the waitresses in New York City are unemployed actors. There's a reason for it. It drives me crazy. People are looking at you like you're stupid. They look at me and they say, do I look stupid to you? And I'll tell you what. Do you remember the Oscars? Do you remember what Jessica Chastain said, the actress? She says, after she thanked everybody in the community, she talked about all the rejection, how you can never give up. You're rejected, you're rejected, just never give up because something's going to hit. You just need that one job and you're going to be successful. So I will tell you, it is an impossible industry. Everybody treats everybody like they're an idiot. It's a wonder that I'm uh, doing okay here. <laughs> well, I didn't tell you to go and be in entertainment. <laughs> Well, I love it. I love it. It doesn't feel like work because I absolutely love it. Don't get me wrong. But you pick the topic. Do I look stupid? Do you look stupid? I don't know. 
But wait, we haven't done a topic like this before. What got you started on this one? Uh, buying a car. And the salesman and the sales manager talking to me like I was a freaking moron. I got crazy with their pitch, their bullshit, the storytelling. If you're going to lie to my face, do me a favor. Have a compelling lie. Also, keep a straight face. But most important, when anyone starts a sentence with, can I be honest with you? You know what comes next is never honest. Do I look stupid? So people do that because they're trying to be more relatable, right? They're saying, look, can I be honest with you? I'll be one-on-one with you. I'll be frank. I'm giving it to you straight. Don't listen to what I tell other people. Salesmen do that all the time, right? Can I be honest with you? No. Can you be honest with me? No, lie to me. Yeah, but that, that's their way of getting more relatable, I think. Why? What did they lie to you about? Something called market price. But I'll get there in time. I saw you on TV all week talking about the verdict of Alex Jones. You want to cover that a bit? You want to talk about being honest? My goodness. $965 million verdict levied against him for telling lies about the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting. Unbelievable. We were predicting... I don't know, a few hundred million, which is significant. Don't get me wrong. Wait a minute. A few hundred million to do what? What's it going to change? What what, what are you going to do with a few hundred million dollars? Hold on. Let's take a step back here, okay? So Alex Jones is in a very interesting, unique position. He's unlike anybody else who tells falsehoods. This guy had a massive platform. I didn't even realize how big the platform was. What do you mean? People that listen to him? People that listen to him. People that follow him. And they believe what he says? not only believe what he says, but we're directly harassing the victim's family members and saying, Sandy Hook never happened. You're a liar. People felt so threatened that they had to hire security. They had to move. Really despicable things that were happening here. Whoa, 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 whoa. They were being attacked and they had to move. Where were the police? I don't buy this. So you think the victim's family members are not telling the truth? If they were being harassed and people were on their lawns and threatening them, where were the police? Well, there was times when they couldn't identify who the people were or they were being approached or people were leaving threatening voicemails to them and stuff like that. It wasn't about individuals being arrested. I'm sure that happened. That wasn't really touched upon that much. It was more about the reason people were coming towards them and giving them a hard time and their lives were in jeopardy is because of what Alex Jones was saying about Sandy Hook for a long period of time. What is the money changing? So number one, right, they sued Alex Jones under a number of different theories. They said, and there were eight plaintiffs. There was a number of different families. There was a former FBI agent. And they sued Alex Jones for everything from defamation, that he was making false statements that directly harmed them, to uh, intentional and negligent infliction of emotional distress. All right. This guy who behaves like a buffoon when you see him on TV is investing his time in convincing millions and millions of people that everything he says about the world is true and everything they heard is wrong. No, no, no. Here's what happened. He was saying that Sandy Hook was fake, that the parents were crisis actors. And what he was noticing and what was happening is he was getting a ton of engagement from followers. More and more people were coming to Infowars. So he kept pushing it and pushing it and pushing it and kept saying it was fake. And as a result, the parents and the family members suffered. And so they sued him under a number of different theories. And I will tell you, it would have been a very interesting case if this went to a jury and a jury had to decide whether or not Alex Jones engaged in defamation or all these different counts. But because Alex Jones chose really to ignore the litigation, a default judgment was entered against them. The court basically said, you automatically lose. You didn't fight this. You didn't comply with any obligations we put forward. So now all that this jury has to decide is how much you owe. All right. I know you got it down, Pat. I want to make sure I understand. So maybe the audience did. Now, from a legal point of view, he has the right to say this. No, he doesn't have the right to say this. We don't know if he had the right to say this. I would have liked if he actually took this to trial and a jury had to determine whether or not it was defamation. He didn't do it. So if somebody comes forward in the future and does something exactly like Alex Jones did, I can't tell you what would happen. Doesn't he have liability insurance? Doesn't he work for a network? It's his own network. It's uh, I don't know if he has liability insurance or what, but I know he doesn't have a billion dollars to pay out. <sighs> okay, this is what I'm talking about tonight, about do we look stupid? In this case, me. Do I look stupid listening to this crap? Anyway, you wanted to talk about Jan Wenner, the founder of Rolling Stone magazine. What's that about? 
So Jan Wenner, I think he has a new book out. He's on the media tour and he's been doing interviews with Howard Stern. And I also heard him do this interview with Joe Rogan. And I'm listening to it. And I thought it was a really you know, interesting guy. I wanted to hear what he had to say. And at one point, he gets into this conversation that he believes wealthy Americans should have a tax levied against them at minimum 50% and higher. And I'm listening to this, and Joe Rogan actually pushed him back on this and said, well, if you do that, where do you think all this money is going to go? Where do you want all this taxpayer money to go? He goes towards education, and it was a whole conversation about whether or not that money would actually go to the programs. And I'm listening to this. I'm thinking to myself, this is ridiculous. You want to tax the wealthy that high, which, by the way, a little hypocritical when he's a very wealthy guy himself, but he says, oh, I'd be more than willing to pay it. Well, let's not forget, he's also at an older point in his life. It's easy for him to say this. But here's the thing. He's saying have the wealthy pay 50%, 60% more. It felt to me more of a punishment of the wealthy than actually trying to create a, a situation where people are on an equal playing field. I don't know if you tax the wealthy, it's really going to help the economy and how it's really going to directly help lower income families. He talked about maybe lower income families shouldn't pay no tax at all. Maybe it should only be on the wealthy. But is that right? Is that going to solve the problem? Is that creating equality or is that creating a socialism? It sounded very amateurish when I was listening to it. I'm actually happy Joe Rogan pushed back on it a little bit. I wanted to bring it up because I wanted you to talk about it. Listen, I don't believe in charity for the government. I don't believe in charity for the biggest institutions in the world. I don't believe in charity. There's so much money there. What are they spending it on? The government takes in $4 trillion. What are they spending on that they need our money for education? And by the way, just so happens, I got my school tax bill this year in the house I live in, in the neighborhood I live in, where my children haven't been going to school for the last 15 years, $40,000. $40,000 for school. And I don't have anyone going to school. So first of all, don't tell me that I don't pay school tax. Now, let me bring you to a guy like Jan Wenner. I don't remember, Jesse, have we ever talked a concept about limousine liberals? I know what it is. I don't know if we've ever talked about it on the show. What is it? It's wealthy individuals who espouse these kind of liberal ideas. It's like somebody saying, we have to worry about climate change, and then they jump in their private jet and fly around the world. Okay. Pretty good. They could take a limousine liberal, because that's what this guy is right now, from what I can tell. He must be worth a fortune. I don't know if he ever sold Rolling Stone, but he's a big, big, big-time wealthy guy. But let's put it this way. He's sitting in the back of his limousine. And he made all this money. And it's sitting in his bank and his children's bank. His big earning years you started to touch are not there anymore. He already made his money. So it's very interesting to tell a 30-year-old who might have that kind of success, we want all your money now. That's a limousine liberal, spousing off this stuff after it's all said and done. Having said this, I believe in capitalism. I believe that the opportunity for someone to work, I think there's nothing other than personal things in your life. Having a great family, having great children, having a family and a home life is the most important thing in life. But when you get into your work, having a job is the single most personal, rewarding thing anyone in this world can have. When you're employed and you're bringing home a paycheck or you're getting a bonus or you've done a job well done, there's nothing in the society that's better for an individual's psyche than having a job. And jobs come from successful businesses. Look, I'm a CEO of a company. I have no choice. If I'm supposed to make a billion dollars profit, I have to make a billion dollars profit. And there are only a few places you can get that billion dollars from. You could stop advertising and sooner or later your company won't be worth what it was again. The biggest expenses are people. So if I have to make a billion dollars and I'm short, I got to reorganize the company, get rid of people. I don't understand this whole thing about trickle-down economics. You hear the uh, liberals talk about that. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Call it what you will. This economy, this world is based on capitalism. When companies do well, when private enterprises do well, they need people. And the more people you put to work, the better the economy is, et cetera, et cetera. Jan Wenner, I don't know what he's talking about. But I'll tell you this, I met Jan Wenner. I met him under the circumstances. I was the head of advertising for PVH at the time. And I was deciding on where all the magazines and where we would put all our money. 
I said to the head of marketing at the time, I was the president of the company, why don't we try Rolling Stone? There's a shot that we'll get new customers that maybe we aren't talking to in all the other choices that we have. My guy came back to me and said to me, his magazine is a different format than all the other magazines. It's bigger. And therefore, in order to be in that magazine, if you want, we have to spend another $15,000 just to do all the paperwork and do all the prints and the work that we have to do to get our ads right for his magazine. I'm not paying $15,000. Go back and tell him no. So they went back and told John Wenner and his team no, that their president doesn't want to pay the service charge to convert to his size. And he asked me to see him. I never thought I'd meet John Wenner, and I agreed to see him. I'll never forget, I met him in a bar uptown in, I guess, in the 50s called Palio at the time. We sat down, and we had the gracious thing, hey, I'm a fan, I love your magazine, I love rock and roll, and blah, blah, blah. And then he got into it. He says, I got to tell you, Mark, you're the first guy in the history of the magazine that's refused to pay the surcharges associated with doing ads in the smaller magazines like Vogue and GQ and paying the difference to be in my magazine. And I said to him, I don't know why I'm the first, but I'm surprised I am. And I presume smart people, I won't be the last. And he started getting into how important he was and how important the magazine was. I said, listen, I have choices. I could be in GQ. I could be in Forbes. I could be in Men's Health, Esquire. Matter of fact, a lot of my products are purchased by women. So every women's magazine out there, I try and advertise in, and I believe in women's magazines. And frankly, there's a readership issue. If you have 600,000 people reading your magazine and GQ has 600,000, as far as I'm concerned, you're even. So why should I pay $15,000 more to be in your magazine? And he started to talk about how, you know, it's good for business to listen to me. Unless you're prepared to guarantee sales, forget it. And I looked at him. He kept pitching me. And I'm saying to myself, I'm not a stupid man. Do I look stupid? Which is one of the reasons I'm talking about it, being you brought him up. He's talking to me about why I should be in his magazine and pay $15,000 I wouldn't have to do in another magazine. Maybe 15000 at the time would buy me another page. And I refused. We became... Good buddies. I ended up advertising in his magazine. Right then and there, he told me that he wouldn't charge me the surcharge. But the question I ask, I'm asking tonight, do I look stupid? we we'll take a break. Back in a minute. Always in fashion. DKNY, from the moment it entered our world, expressed what we were about as individuals. They took the energy of New York City and made it part of our lives. And for that, we all became invested in DKNY. They weren't just about the product. They cared about the way we feel. And it's interesting that for fall, DKNY is coming back with a concept called Today I Feel. That's what they want to talk to us about. And they came out with a press release that I want to share with you. We're empowered to wear what we feel and encouraged to express every facet of ourselves in the way we dress, to never let anyone else define what we wear or how we feel, no matter how hard they may try. Radiate confidence in a printed mini dress. Feel like a badass in a leather trench and combat boots or zen and out in matching workout set. Whatever you're feeling, show it off. Today, I feel. I think DKO once again is tapping into the pulse of America, that there's a lot of pressure, there's a lot of discomfort every day as people go through their lives. And companies that are substantial and companies that care about people want to make a difference. And DKNY is one of the most exciting fashion brands ever. And it continues to be relevant both for women and for men. However, a company to care about how we feel and express themselves in this campaign is another signal how DKNY is such an important part of the lives we live. DKNY, today I feel. Welcome Welcome back back to to Always in Fashion. Fashion. Here's your host, Mark Weber. I'm actually happy tonight. I'm having a good time. Jesse's on the phone. We're doing this. He's in his house. I'm in mine. Going back in the studio soon. But this week, I had a few issues where either happen to remind me that people talk to me. I can put up with a lot of stuff. I really do. We all can. But something I can't put up with is when someone's 
talking to me. And obviously, they're either lying, they're talking down to me, they're talking to me, and I'm saying to myself, do I look stupid? And it drives me crazy. And that's what got me here tonight. Wait a sec. Before we go any further, we never addressed what you talked about before, the uh, problem with the car salesman. You said uh, he's treating you like an idiot. How so? What, what was that conversation about? <laughs> we got caught up in a bunch of other stuff before. Okay. So I'm going to change the story just a little. Basically, I'm going to change the names to protect the innocent. This week, I went to buy a car. And we're sitting there and detailing the car, my son and I. The guy gives us the price. And on top of it, he says, there's a $25,000 market price addition. Well, look at this. The sticker is this. What do you mean market price? And he looked at me, and the minute he started looking at and talking, I knew he was full of baloney. Starts in with, well, there is a shortage of automobiles, there is supply side, the dollar strength has gone up, and there's all kinds of stuff. He's making it up as he goes along. $25,000. I said, you're talking price over sticker. He said, yes, we have to charge it. So I said, if I got up and walked away right now, would you let me walk? He said, I have no choice. Market price for these automobiles. I said to him, call up the manager. The manager comes over and starts in again with this face. Like, who are you kidding? Do I look stupid? He said, well, you have to understand, parts have gone up. The dollar is strength. Now, the dollar's strength works in our favor. I'm buying a European car. The dollar is stronger, the price should go down. I said that to him. He said, well, forget that. It's just, you know, he just was lying to my face. And in the end, I couldn't take it. And he can't even keep a straight face. He said, look, I have no choice. I said, you know, this is the fifth car I bought with this family in the last four years. And you're telling me you're doing this to me? I have no choice. So that's what got me thinking. Do I look stupid? And the answers and everything. And they couldn't even keep a straight face. So that's what got me started. I mean, I hate to sound like a cliche, but are you surprised that car salesmen might be doing this? <laughs> what you're referring to is usually for you car salesmen. They tell you a car is great and you take it home, the wheels fall off. But for a new car, I know for a fact that Ford is threatening all their dealers. They're asking extra money for the Bronco or the Mustang or the F-150. I know it's happening all the way. I know if you're Rolex and you charge more at the dealership for a Rolex watch, you'll never have Rolex again. There's a story in Las Vegas. Penske Automotive had the franchise for Ferrari at the Wynn Hotel. The LaFerrari. They put it aside. It was a $2 million car. Sold it for $5 million. And as folklore goes, they lost the dealership. So here we are going through it. Of course it's going on. But it's annoying and don't lie to me. It's like Fairweather Friends. I used to belong to a limousine company. I used them every single day, either short hauls and long hauls. When I used to be a master of the universe, I'd have appointments all day long, dinner at night. I'd have the limousine company pick me up in the morning at the office at 8.30 and stay with me till 10 o'clock at night. I was huge. I was one of their biggest individual companies. Called them up one day. It's raining out. I said, hey, it's Mark Weber. I need a car. Well, Mr. Weber, it's raining. We can't get you a car for a half hour. And I said, what'd you just say to me? He said, well, Mr. Weber, it's raining. I can't get you a car for at least a half hour. I said, now listen to me. You have a choice to make. I don't need you when the sun is out. When the sun is out, I can get cars anywhere at any time. But when it's raining and I need a car, you can't say that to me. So I'm going to give you a minute to you decide or talk to your boss. Have a car for me or we're done. Do I look stupid? Sure enough, I had a car in five minutes. So... Same thing with restaurants. You ever walk in a restaurant, they have no reservations. You know, half the tables are empty. You know they leave extra tables for someone who comes in of importance. Again, do I look stupid? I frequent restaurants. Don't tell me you don't have a table for me. I'm going to throw the name out there. You ready? So, Polo Bar. I call them up once. I'm like, oh, can I make a reservation two weeks from now, this date at 8 o'clock? Ooh, I'm sorry, sir. We don't have anything available for you. So, later that day, I call somebody that has a connection there. And she goes, what time you want? I said, 8 o'clock. She goes, done. It's so nasty. I'd like to believe there's justice in this world, and I'd like to believe you can get even with them, but I don't. But I know personally, 
This dealership I was in, we'll never see another five cars from this family. I'll do everything we can to find another dealership who makes the brands we want. But who knows? The point is, do I look stupid? That's what got me started on this whole thing. And uh, okay, now you're worked up. But now I, I want to talk about something. It goes under the head of, am I stupid or do I just look stupid? What are you doing is the question. And it has to do with my livelihood and what I did with my life. You have no right to complain. No right to complain. You haven't worked a full day in six years. You do the radio show twice a week. I think you have nothing to complain about or be upset when looking back at your life. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not complaining. I'm, you know, well, This is a show I'm trying to entertain people. And the truth is, but you have to ask yourself, are you doing the right thing? And I wonder why I keep going. Every one of the guys that grew up with the industry, when they hit a certain age, they retired early. They chose to go play golf. They relaxed. They earned it. And yet I couldn't. I was writing a book, a book about my experiences, the lessons I learned. I figured while I'm writing it, that's what I would do. But as I'm sitting here at home and I'm writing this book and I'm figuring I could do this, I started getting calls for consulting work. And the first was from a long-term friend. She had a client in the entertainment business, a movie company who branched out into personal management, and they were licensing. And they were particularly interested in creating brands for their athletes or for their musicians. I have to say this. The one thing I understood about my so-called retirement that isn't retirement was return on effort. And I've talked about this with you before. What is return on effort? That which you choose to do, will it be worth your investment financially and the time you invest in it? And I was hesitant about the consulting business because I didn't necessarily like it. I'm a player. I'm a guy who wants to be responsible for what he's doing. I do well. I benefit by it. I'm a capitalist. I don't do well. I pay the price. My radio show's good. You'll listen. If they don't, well, go find something else to do. So I get this call, and it's from a company working at Relativity Media, a big movie company based in L.A., started by a, a brilliant financier. And the guy who's running their licensing division, president, says to me he'd like to talk to me. And I sit down with him, and we go over what he's trying to do. And I agree to come on board. He had clients like Marshawn Lynch. He was the linebacker with the then-world champion Seattle Seahawks. He also had Kanye West on his roster. So anyway, I did that for a while, and I realized after a period in time that I really didn't like doing it. And it was just a very hard startup, but I did it for a while. It was at least six months. And then I get a call from an impressive group of guys. I was introduced really by one of my lawyers, but a group of bankers came to me next, and they purchased a competitive bathing soup company for college and high school swimmers and competitive surface in Huntington Beach, California. And they, the bankers, wanted to grow the business. The name of the company was Joe Lynn, was the name of the founder's grandmother and grandfather. The founder was a surfer and a lifeguard, and his girlfriend told him she could buy two-piece swimmer bikinis that would stay on in competition. And she said at the same time, nobody was making one-piece competitive swim that was fashionable. And I signed on. I visited their offices with Jesse in Huntington Beach. Remember that, Jesse, when we toured the factory and walked around their offices? That was awesome. I've never been in a factory before, and seeing how all, everything was made, uh, that was awesome. <laughs> well, I was impressed. It was really my first opportunity to work directly, an entrepreneur, a startup company. Everyone was young, enthusiastic. It was interesting. And the extent of my involvement would be a phone call each week or two. And the phone calls, we went over the numbers. We talked about their operation of the business from selling opportunities to manufacturing. And I was involved. But no skin in the game. And I got to tell you, I wasn't sure if I was liked. I know I was respected. I had the credentials, and I knew I had all the experience. I'll never forget, they had this huge commitment to America. Shorter lead times, the fabric was from America, and Jolin bathing suits could not be made anywhere but the USA. I said, really? 
And I said, what I said was I was respected. But when I talked, I got to tell you, everyone stopped when I talked. You could hear a pin drop, and there were a lot of people listening. And while I was listening, if I happened to clear my throat by accident, everybody stopped because they thought I had something to say. It was really funny. And yet no one would act on anything I had to say. After six months of trying to talk through inventory management, I find out that the special fabric that all of Jolin bathing suits were made of, at least at the time, was from China. They never said that before. So they're waiting for fabric to come from China. They're saying nothing can be made in China. And I know for a fact all those bathing suits can be made at a fraction of the cost. And when you commit to a factory running, that factory we visited, they committed to fill their entire production line. So whatever the flexibility is in wait time from something coming from Asia to the United States, when you're keeping a factory busy, you can't stop and start. So I remember asking myself, do they think I'm stupid? How can everything I'm saying be wrong? And I never got anything done that I wanted to get done to help them. But they sold the company for a substantial profit. And they kept it intact to experts in internet marketing. And you know what? They're sure they're doing well. And after that, my consulting business, I gave it up after this one, a powerful CEO for one of America's largest and successful apparel retail companies hired me to consult for him directly and as president. I liked these guys. I respected these guys. They had a huge company. And if nothing else, it made it clear why I'm no consultant. Every time they asked my opinion, you could see they didn't want to hear what I said. Apparently, I got stupid. Everything I said, which I am sure is right, they found out a reason that I wouldn't. And after I called it quits, I found that they agreed with most of what I said, if not all of it. But they chose for their own reasons, political reasons, to pursue their own course. And it's their company to manage, and they have the right. So I learned consulting without staking the game is just an option you have a say, but what do you say it has nothing? Do I look stupid? That was a terrible, terrible return on investment. After all this, I'm finishing my book. I'm committed to a book tour and all the promotions. I have book signings lined up. I have one in my DKNY store, the first one, 500 people. We lined up around the block. I agree to go on television, radio. I do the whole circuit. But I never told anyone. I kept it to myself. I wanted to be on radio. And I kept saying to myself, you don't have to work. But what are you going to do with all this energy? What to do, what to do. That's what went on my head. Part of me was thinking maybe you would go be a newscaster like you originally wanted to do even before you were at PVH. And you remember that story? You said, I, what do I want to do with my life? I'm going to be a newscaster. And you walked into the, a local news station and said, hey, I want to do that. Without any training, without any schooling, without any connection. And they laughed at your face. So I had a feeling you wanted to get into entertainment, though. Well, I, I can't be a newscaster because I don't have the look. I don't have the patience for politics. And uh, I'm not classically trained. You have the benefit of the doubt. First of all, the camera loves you. You're very comfortable in front of the camera. And you're a lot younger than me. You look great. Well, thank you for that. But let me ask you this. If you could be the CEO of a company in a different industry, would you want to do it? And what would it be? Now you're getting right to the heart of it because this is where I was going. Back to return on effort. I've spent, I guess with you now, almost seven years on the radio. And the return on effort just isn't there. I, for all intents and purposes, have failed. I thought I'd be on every station in the country by now. And the same way waiters throughout New York are all actors that can't work, I kind of feel that way about myself. I just don't know enough about it. I haven't been able to break through. And I don't consider myself successful. And why we can make a living doing this it's not about the money for me. I know this show is good. I know you're great on this show. I know the subject matter is different. Our own program director and WR has said we have built a niche for this station like no one else has done. We're not sports. We're not political. We're not day-to-day -day events, news and weather. We're different. And people tell me, all the notes we get, Always in Fashion is on Instagram, and I'm on uh, LinkedIn. And I know the show is good, and I can't 
get arrested. First of all, this is not a failure. You got yourself on the radio, which is pretty incredible. You get to talk about it every week. We have a great following. People who listen to it enjoy it. They keep coming back. We have people that not only write to us, but people that we see say how much they enjoy the show. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on the WOR website. So I know we're not syndicated across the country yet. Okay, I get it. I know we're not on the back of... uh, uh, buses, you know, on the sides of buses. But I think it's unfair to say that we were a failure. Well, fair is for kids. Sorry is for children. I'm allowed to feel the way I want to feel. And that's why I discuss return on effort. The amount of time and effort and work that I've put into this thing, the fact that I can't get syndicated, don't know how, I don't have a clue, nobody's jumped at us, I personally consider it a failure. Now, to the people who listen, the people who like us, the people who get angry when we repeat a show because we took a day off, I appreciate that and I love it. And I really get excited when the subject matter like tonight is interesting. But for return on effort, it just isn't there. But you asked me a a great question. If someone from General Motors came to me and said, we need to build exciting new platform or cars, would I go do it? Absolutely. That seems to be bigger than life, and it's different. Someone told me they wanted to build new boutique hotels and that there are brilliant guys out there. They get it all, but we would like to talk to someone who's been in as many hotels as you've been and make you the creative director. I might do that. But really, more than anything in the world, when I was deciding to make a career change, a book and a writer and radio personality, from the corporate executive in retail, fashion, and apparel, I asked myself while I was going through this consulting phase, where would I want to work? And the only place that came to mind was Polo. I admire that company. I really, really do. I admire what Ralph Lauren built from nothing. Guy in the Bronx with a vision, with a taste level, point of view, who understood fashion and cared about it. And for a guy who grew up in this industry, no one, no one, no one is more impressive than Ralph Lauren. And I've met them all, except for him. The only place I've met him is in an elevator. That's a regret I have, if the few. So I'm looking and I'm saying to myself, I can go pursue this book, and I'm going to. I have commitments. Nobody knows I want to go on radio. You know what? Before I do it, I want to find myself talking to the people at Polo. So I happen to have known the CEO of Polo at that time. And once again, I'm not mentioning names. That CEO agreed to have a meeting with me. And I went up to see and talk with him or her. And as I'm sitting there, we're talking about the industry. And we're talking about what's going on. And they were struggling. And frankly, I could see why the men's business lost their way. There was nothing to wear. And now, why is that relevant to me? Because the first time in my life, I'm a free agent. I'm not wearing DKNY. I'm not wearing Calvin Klein. I'm not wearing Fendi or Dior or Gucci. I'm not wearing any of the brands that were part of the company and the stable in the company that I worked for. I was free and clear and was my first chance to wear Ralph. And I loved it. I love their polo shirt. They have something called a custom fit polo. It's not slim fit. It just fits you brilliantly. And I could wear it and I loved it. All their dress shirts with a logo I never wore. They have a French blue shirt with a blue logo. I never was able to wear it. Their sweaters. And I was excited. So I went to talk with the polo president, CEO. And I'm sitting there and I'm telling him what's going on. And I said, between us, I have to tell you something. I'm going to be leaving LVMH, Deanna Karen, and I, uh, I've written a book, about to go on a book tour, and as I sit here and think about what I'm going to do next, I haven't told anyone, but I'm probably going to become a radio talk show host. And the person looked at me and said, really? That's different. Do you have an assignment? No, I'll make it happen. How are you going to make it happen? I said, with a lot of hard work, I'm going to hire agents, I'll figure it out. <laughs> he said, well, good luck to you. I said, but before I do that, I know your men's business is struggling. I'm a student of your company. And I've decided that before I'd go do and pursue my other interests, I want to at least have this opportunity to talk to you about coming in, working for you. I don't need to be a CEO. I want to take over your men's business. I know it's not right, and I can help you. And I'll never forget 
the look on that person's face. And it was like playing cards. There was a poker face. And you can see the wheels turning. It was almost like watching a slot machine. You could see the the three slot circles moving to get to be sevens. I could see it in that person's eyes. And I realized what they were doing was trying to blow me off and figure out how to do it. And the speech I got back from me was such a fabrication. And I understood I made them comfortable. But I also understood who I was, and I also understood that they were never going to get a better deal than that, than me coming in and willing to do that. That's how I felt. But watching that person looking at me and listening to the feedback, I never forget, and I probably have said it on this show before, it felt like I, their eyes were rolling like a slot machine. I had a ticker tape running across my head saying, I am stupid, I am stupid, I am stupid. <laughs> Do I look stupid? And that's what got me thinking. So when you just asked me where else I wouldn't want to work perfect for tonight, I never forgot that story. And uh, those of you, we all live it every day of the week. People look at us, they underestimate us. The one thing, the one thing I can tell this world, do whatever you want to me. You could say what you want, I don't care. But the one thing you can't do is underestimate me. That's how I got where I am. I'll take a break. Back in a minute. Always in fashion. As one of the world's most celebrated fashion designers, Karl Lagerfeld was renowned for his aspirational and cutting-edge approach to style. His unique vision of Parisian chic comes to America through Karl Lagerfeld Paris. He has women's collections, men's collections, ready-to-wear accessories, shoes, and bags. The fashion house Karl Lagerfeld also offers a range of watches, eyewear, and premium fragrances. You can explore the Karl Lagerfeld collection at karllagerfeldparis.com. But it's more than that. I, for one, love to shop. I love going around and seeing what's happening and what catches my attention, what would make me feel good to wear. Now, I don't wear the women's wear, obviously, but I can appreciate it, and they look amazing. If you want to look right, you want to have clothes that fit you well, you want to look like you're wearing something that's very expensive, that's exclusive for you and yours, you can find it at very affordable prices at Macy's or CarlLagerfeld.com Paris. The women's ready-to-wear fashion is extraordinary, as well as the handbags and the shoes. I, for one, wear men's clothes, unlike my appreciation of women's clothes. I'm a modern guy. I want to look current. I want to look the way I want to feel. I go out at night, I'm in black, and Carl Lagerfeld is my buddy. Clothes are great. They fit great. And they have little tweaks and touches, whether it's a stripe on the sleeve or button at the neck or on the shoulder. There's a lot of details that go into Carl Lagerfeld. Because he's always been, he always had been, one of the world's great designers. And this legacy goes on and on. I can't speak enough about it except to say to you, you want to feel good about yourself. You want to know that you're dressing properly. You want clothes that fit you well. Carl Lagerfeld Paris at Macy's or CarlLagerfeld.com. Welcome back to Always in Fashion. Here's your host, Mark Weber. Do I look stupid? That's the question on my mind tonight. I've been around so many people lately and dealing with a lot of the service businesses where you know they're talking to you and they're lying to you. Now, I get it. I get it. Dealing with the consumer direct is impossible. I go out of my way to be pleasant to anyone who services. I never question bills. I want to service. The gardener comes, whatever the price is. The sprinkler man, whatever the price is. I have to buy tires. I have to fix my car. Whatever the price is, I don't question. I don't ask. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Because I know how impossible people are. But I'll tell you, here is what I'm going to call a paid political announcement for you. When it comes to money, you have to be smart. When it comes to money and the company you're working with, you have to be smart. And when it comes to money, your boss is going to look you in the eye and lie to you every single time. You're going to ask yourself, do I look stupid? 
Is he really saying this to me? I've been more successful. I've worked harder. I've accomplished this. I've accomplished that. And he's giving me this mumbo-jumbo about why my bonus, why my salary is only going up 3% because of a cost of living and adjustment, and everyone is only getting through. Yeah, on and on and on. The first part of this paid political announcement, companies have a right to manage their company any way they want. And companies look at the greater good. They try to establish policies that you can spread across the company with an even hand. At one point in my life, I was so hands-on that I had 500 employees and I approved every raise and every bonus agreement. And the problem was, when I was honest with myself, I was doing this one time with one of the managers, one of the presidents coming in, taking me to all the people. The people that I knew and I liked, I was being very favorable to. The people I know and didn't like as much, I wasn't. And then there were all the other people I didn't have a clue. And then it occurred to me, I have to stand down. Other than my direct reports, in order to be fair and just, I had to take myself out of the equation and let the managers who are closest to the people make those decisions. But even they have to deal with the rules. There's a pool of money they can give out in a raise. There's so many dollars they can give out in a bonus. And there are qualifications and rules associated with each bump that they give. My advice to you, when you're sitting there, do I look stupid because of the way they're talking to you? Don't take it personal. I am not saying take it. You have every right to negotiate. You have every right to be as clever as you can to try and convince that person in front of you that maybe they should deal with you differently. You don't have a right to get angry. You don't have a right to point out other people who aren't as good as you. None of that works. If their mind is made up, you can't change it. If you're smart and you do it well, you have a chance of making them question the decision, and that happens more times than not. I can tell you, I sat in front of the powers to be at PVH when I was there, and I was a young president. They looked me in the eyes. They gave me huge salary increases, huge bonuses, but they lied to me. They gave me less than they told me I had ability to make, and when I asked them why I'm not getting the maximum, mumbo-jumbo. At LVMH, I'll never meet more honorable people. The guys I worked for were brilliantly honorable. I loved my association. I trusted them. There was one year I had a special bonus. It was called an LTIP, Long-Term Incentive Plan, and it was based on three years of earnings, and I smoked it. And I was entitled to the entirety of that bonus, and I can tell you it was uh, generous. They cut 25% off from me when they gave it to me, and the guy looked at me, and across the table he said, if I give you the full amount, I'll have a problem, and you'll be resented in the company. And I'm saying to myself, as he's saying to this, do I look stupid? Do I care if I'm resented by other employees because I got a bigger bonus than them? But at that point in time, I told LVMH I wasn't here for the money. I was here for the job, and I, I let it go. I've had bonuses that were too small that affected me years down the road. I got hurt financially more times than I cared or managed. Now, don't cry for me. I did just fine. But the answer for me was, one, I knew they were lying to me. If it wasn't lying, I knew they were taking the company line. I knew they had no choice. I knew they weren't singling me out. I just knew they were lying to me. Do I look stupid? Give me the truth. But they didn't. Having said that, I hold no resentment. And all I do as a paid political announcement for you, salary raises coming up. It's the end of the year. Bonus is going to be distributed. Try and be smart. And it's okay to question, do I look stupid? Back in a minute. Always in fashion. I've been shopping for fun lately. And while I'm out, I always look at men's and I look at women's, what's going on. And, and I was particularly interested in DKNY because of their sponsorship of the show. And I went downstairs at Macy's, 34th Street, to look around and I saw DKNY activewear. And I promise you, ladies, it is sensational from the sports bras to the crop tops to the uh, leggings and the sweats. It really is a great look. And DKNY had begun as an all-American brand 
dressing, casual clothes, and jeans. And the stuff looks incredible. And right now, the colors and the styles is so exciting that I feel great about the company. I always do. I wear the menswear all the time. I've had situations where I've gone to big events and been interviewed and TV or the radio and someone comes up to me with the microphone and like they always do, who are you wearing? And here I am, this big shot with big company and they say, well, I'm wearing a DKNY and they laugh and say, no, you're not. I actually have one on the internet where you could see me. They ask me what suit I'm wearing and I say DKNY and open it up and there's the DKNY label. Great fashion. It fits well. It looks right. It's designed to make you comfortable in the city. It goes from day into night. You can wear it in the morning, you wear it in the afternoon, and you look cool at night as well. It's great for the office. It's great for leisure. But I was talking about the DKNY activewear. The first time I really became aware of it, Jesse and I were up at Sirius Radio. He was doing a, a job for Sirius. He does a Dan Abrams show. He fills in on the POTUS network. A beautiful Latina woman walked in. She was wearing a DKNY sports bra, and I said to myself, this is amazing. I actually went to Macy's to see it, and I'm excited about the brand. And I tell you what, ladies, DKNY always has great fashion for work, always wonderful dresses and things that you'd wear. Their accessories are great. The shoes are always very cool. But activewear in particular right now looks sensational, and being that everyone's athleisure and activewear, it's a great time. DKNY, go take a look. Welcome back to Always in Fashion. Here's your host, Mark Weber. I don't know if I'm smart, but I do know I'm well-trained in business and in life. I traveled the world 10, 20, 50 times. I went everywhere. I met people in every country, and I visited every city I could. I gained experiences. I collected life's lessons. I've negotiated with the Europeans, the Chinese, the Americans, North, South, East, and West. The governments... When they were involved, I sat with them and negotiated with them. I met entrepreneurs, masters of the corporate world. I've experienced small businesses and global conglomerates. I sorted through stuff. I solved million-dollar problems. I had a great wife who taught me how to be a great father. I've had great mentors who taught me what I needed to learn. I've had great success by any measure. Mostly, a wife who loved me and two sons who want to spend time with me. I'm loved and I feel it, priceless. Then I have to ask the question of the rest of you. Do I look stupid? 